Genesis chapter 38. We start reading verse 6. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to jump around a bit. Um, title of my message tonight is Sin, Shame, and God's Amazing Grace. Sin, Shame, and God's Amazing Grace. Uh, when uh, not the most pleasant chapter in the Bible. It's not the one that we like to dwell on or, or think about, but I believe this the Lord would have me to, to uh, talk about tonight and bring message on tonight. So let's go ahead and start reading in Genesis chapter 38. We'll read our scripture, then we'll go ahead and pray. Genesis 38, starting in verse 6. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go unto, go unto thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his, and it came to pass, when he went unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then, Ju then said Judah to Tamar his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house, till Shelah my son be grown. For he said, Lest peradventure he die also. And his brethren did, and Tamar went and dwelt in, as his brethren did, and Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now go to verse 14. And she put her widow's garments off from her, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is by the way, to Timnath. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given, and he was not given, she was not given unto him the wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot, because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law, and he said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge, till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet, and thy bracelets, and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her, and, it came, un and he came on unto her, and she conceived by him. Then go down to verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. And when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet, and the bracelets, and the staff? And Judah acknowledged them, and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila my son, and he knew her again no more. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her, room, in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Pharez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zara. Let's go ahead and pray, Lord. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for that we can learn from your word, that all, all, all of your word we can learn from, and it's there for a reason, Lord. Just help us study your word tonight and just to help us to learn what you want us to learn tonight, Lord. And just please uh, speak through me and uh, uh, use me tonight, Lord, to present your word the way you want it presented. In your name, in your name we pray. Amen. So look again at verse 24. We're going to read verses 24 through 26 again. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar thy daughter-in-law hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she was child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child? She said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet, and bracelets, and staff. And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because I gave her not to see Sheila, my son, and he knew her again no more. So this account of Judah and Tamar is not a pleasant one to study in God's word. 
But God put it in his word, and we are commanded to study the whole counsel of God, which includes some unpleasant passages at times, includes some uncomfortable ones at times, includes some that we really don't want to dwell on, don't want to read, don't want to concentrate on. But the Bible says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, Acts 20, 27. So it is not a pleasant subject, not a pleasant chapter to study, but is one that demonstrates the mighty grace of God. There is a lot of truth, a lot of applications to this chapter. You could do several different messages, really, on this one chapter. There's so much stuff there, so much you could apply. And as we go through it, we're going to do kind of a, a study of the whole chapter, but it's not. there's so much more you could do on this, on this chapter. It's just full full of God's truth, full of things we can apply to our day-to-day lives. And the title of my message tonight is Sin, Shame, and God's Amazing Grace. In the first part of our message, we're going to look at sin. We're just going to be looking at sin. It's going to be unpleasant. Then our next point is going to be shame. Then we're going to end with God's amazing grace. And I can't wait to get to God's amazing grace. So introduction, this chapter in God's Word deals with sin and shame of Judah and Tamar. We learned something interesting about this event and how it figures into our own redemption. This event figures into our own redemption. We're going to cover that at the very end, but I think that is very, it's very interesting how this all fits in to everything. So this event figures into our own personal redemption. This account of Judah and Tamar is one of the most unpleasant passages in the entire Bible. In fact, most commentaries do not spend much time in this passage. I was studying this passage, and I couldn't find a whole lot of commentaries that spent a lot on this passage. Most commentaries did not spend much time, and I found one commentary that had like one little sentence and on to chapter 39. They just didn't want to deal with it. So the wonderful account of the life of Joseph began one chapter before this in chapter 37. And it continues again in chapter 39, but chapter 38 is stuck right in between that. So why would God include chapter 38 of Genesis in his word? Why would it be there? Why would he sandwich it between the, the wonderful account of Joseph? Why is it in there? It's in there because God has teaching in it that he wants us to get. It's in there that God has information in there that he wants us to have. It's in there because it has information about what pertains to our own redemption today. So let's look at the historical context of this, then we'll start moving on to the the message. The first part of this chapter revolves around what became known as, I might read this, make sure I got it right, what became known as Leverite Law of Marriage. The word Leverite looks like Levi, right, but it's Leverite has nothing to do with Jacob's son Levi. It comes from the Latin word for brother-in-law. This law stated that if a married man died without an heir, his next in line eligible brother was to marry the widow in order to produce an heir who would receive his brother's inheritance and carry on his brother's name. The widow would have the joy of motherhood and have a child who could care for her in the future. God approved of this practice because it was later included in the Mosaic Law. Deuteronomy 25.5 says, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. So this historical context of this is the Leverite law. That's what was happening here in this context. So that's what was going on. So our first point tonight is just sin. It has several sub-points, but our first major point tonight is just sin. This is the most unpleasant part of the message. So this is our first point tonight, and then we get to get to the good stuff at the end. So sin, and the first point under that is Judah's foolish friendship. Judah's foolish friendship. All the sin basically that involves in this chapter revolves around this one foolish decision Judah made. Genesis 38, verse 1. If you go back to verse 1 of the chapter 38 that we're in, it says, And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Notice Judah left his brethren. He got away from the good influence of his father and he made a foolish friendship with a worldly-minded friend. 
This bad decision by Judah resulted in many problems, stress, heartaches, resulted in uh, problems for generations to come from this one foolish decision. Basically, all the problems Judah's going to face, we're going to read about in this chapter. The root of all those problems is this one foolish decision Judah made to make this foolish friendship. So this one bad decision by Judah resulted in so many problems, so many heartaches, so many issues that Judah had to, had to address and had to live through. So what we can learn from that is we need to choose our friends wisely. Friendship with the wrong type of person or the wrong type of people can lead you quickly down a sinful and foolish path in your life. Don't forsake the good and godly influences in your life for friends that take you down the wrong path. Don't forsake the good and godly influence in your life for friends you think maybe these are, are, are cooler friends or maybe I just have a good time with these guys. They're, you know, not, not, no harm's going to come out. I'm, gonna, I, I'm an adult. I can handle it. I can handle the influence, the bad influence. They will lead you down the wrong path. This one foolish decision by Judah resulted in so much heartache. And that one foolish decision was making a friend, the wrong kind of friend. Proverbs 13.20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Keep that verse in mind. We're going to see that play out in the life of Judah as we go on. He that walketh wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So all this started with the wrong kind of friendship. One wrong decision led to lots of other issues and lots of other problems in Judah's life. One wrong decision led to another wrong decision led to another wrong decision. They just built and built and built. Next thing I want you to know is Judah's foolish friendship led to a foolish marriage. Genesis 38 verse 2. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in unto her. So he makes the foolish friendship, and that led that foolish decision led to the next foolish decision to take the wrong kind of wife. Judah obviously did not consult his father for advice on who to marry. Otherwise, he wouldn't have married the Canaanite woman. Judah married someone he should not have married. Judah married someone who did not share the same belief in God that he had. His marriage with this woman is one of unequal yoking. It seems Judah must have listened more to the advice of this foolish friend he should never made friends with than the counsel of his father, Jacob. In 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? So Judah made a foolish friendship. He had the foolish marriage. He married a woman who did not worship the same God. Did not, they did not have that in common. It was unequally yoked. So now this foolish friendship that led to the foolish marriage now leads to Judah's foolish marriage, which produces foolish children. Chain ran at one event after another, after another, after another. And look at verses 3 to 7. And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son, and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chazeb when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Judah's children, now thanks to his foolish decision in marrying a woman of a different faith, had a mother who did not influence them towards God, did not influence them towards the things of God. She was a, a negative influence on their children. She influenced them away from God. So Judah's firstborn son, the Bible tells us, was so wicked that God killed him. The mother led him away from God, did not point him to God. Foolish friendship, foolish marriage. Foolish children. Foolish friendship led to foolish marriage, led to, led to a foolish marriage decision which produced foolish children, which led to the premature deaths and heartbreak for Judah and his remaining family. All these foolish decisions led to now premature deaths as a result of this. Judah learned that sin, at least I hope he learned, that sin does not pay. We need to all learn that sin does not pay. Sin and foolishness of sin 
always will eventually lead to heartbreak and ruin. Proverbs tells us in chapter 14, 9 to 12, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Foolish friendship led to foolish marriage, led to foolish children, and two of those children had premature deaths because of their sinfulness. So we see the chain, the, the, the uh, course of events. Judah made that wrong decision, that one wrong decision, to have that foolish friend, led him to make another wrong decision, the foolish wife has led him to have foolish children, which led to their premature deaths as a result of their sin. So we looked at foo uh, Judah's foolish friendship. Now the next point I want to point out tonight is Tamar's widowhood. Tamar's widowhood. Look at verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 38. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. It is not surprising that Judah chose a Canaanite wife for his son Ur, since he also married a Canaanite. So now he's making another yet wrong decision, choosing the wrong kind of wife for his son. Tamar's marriage to Ur ended in widowhood. The Lord killed Ur because he was so wicked, the Bible tells us. It doesn't tell us what he did, but because of his wickedness, the Lord slew him. We need to make sure we are living our life for God. Because living for ourselves, living our life for pleasure, living our life for a sin that, that we enjoy does not bring true joy and happiness. Sure, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but that doesn't last. Living in sin, living what we want to do, living it our way does not bring true lasting joy or true lasting happiness. Those things just bring unpleasant and sometimes unbearable consequences. Those simple decisions can bring unbearable consequences. Consequences we do not want to face, we do not want to go through, we do not want to bear. That can bring unbearable consequences in our life. Galatians 6, 7, 8 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. For he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Which way are you sowing? Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing to the Spirit? Onan's refusal to raise up offspring to Tamar. Genesis 38.10 tells us, And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. So according to the predominant custom of the time, known as the Leverite Law, the principle of which was later incorporated into the Mosaic Law, Onan was to marry his deceased brother's wife and have children by her. He refused to have children by her and, this, and prevented it from happening. This too displeased God, and God took Onan's life too. So now we have son number two dying a premature death because of sin. We have Judah having son number one dying a premature death because of sin. Judah having son number two dying a premature death because of sin. Those decisions don't look good right now for Judah. Those decisions make that foolish friendship doesn't look good. Those decisions to make that foolish marriage doesn't look good. It's resulted in heartache, heartbreak. It's resulted in trauma. It's resulted in all this happening to him, one thing after the other. One son dying a premature death. Second son dying a premature death, all because of sin and all going to that root wrong decision Judah made. So now let's look at Judah's unfair dealings with Tamar. And Judah's unfair dealings with Tamar. Look at verse 11. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house, till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, Lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So notice Judah's hesitancy. Lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. I know at this point you can kind of understand Judah's hesitancy about one more son marrying Tamar. 
Considering the first two sons, Tamar's first two husbands, died swiftly by God's judgment after they were married to her. So you can kind of understand, Judah's like, I have one son left. My first two sons died swiftly from God's judgment after they married Tamar. I'm not sure I want you to marry my third son. You can kind of understand his hesitancy in, in, this, in this point. I know I can understand that. So let me go on. Judah's intentions are not clear, though. He may have just been stalling. Kind of like, can I put this off? Can I put this off? Can I put this off? Stalling and allowing his son to marry Tamar. He may have simply been trying to just, maybe thinking it would just go away. Maybe if I just, you know, never react, never respond, never do this, it's just going to go away. Tamar, forget about this, and it's just going to go away. Judah didn't know how to deal with this. He's kind of putting off, kind of not honoring his commitment, kind of just like hoping it would just go away. So then notice, Tamar went, at the end of the verse 11, Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. This was not the place Tamar should have been. According to the custom, Tamar was part of Judah's household at this time. And there was still a son that could have fulfilled the obligation that was owed to his late brother. So, at the time, at the, so all the blame right now for the situation that's going on, going on in Tamar's life, is all on Judah right now. All the blame is all on Judah right now. But that's kind of going to shift a little bit. We're going to look at here pretty soon. It's kind of going to shift. But right now, the situation Tamar found herself in at this point was all because of Judah and Judah's sons. So Tamar was in her father's house. But Tamar technically should have been in Judah's house. So next point, here's where it gets a little interesting. Tamar takes matters into her own hands. Tamar takes matters into her own hands. Look at 12 to 14 with me. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up unto his sheep shearers to Timnath, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to, sheep, to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. So after Onan's death, Judah told Tumar to wait until Shelah, my third son, till he's ready, till he's old enough to be married, and then we'll, I'll, give him, you'll, I'll give you to him to marry. But Judah did not follow through in his promise. Tamar noticed that Shula's of age now. We, this could have taken place already, but it has not. So Tamar probably decided in her mind this probably isn't going to take place. I've got to do something. I've got to take matters into my own hands. So Tamar decided that she was going to lay out a plot, lay out a, a plan to try to try to get what she needed, what, what she thought she needed. She was trying to lay out a plan and kind of trick Judah into doing something. So her goal was to rightly to preserve the line of Judah so that inheritance and blessings and covenant could continue, but she went about it the wrong way. She tried to do sort of a right thing, but she went about it a terrible wrong way. So after Judah's wife died and his period of mourning was ended, Judah went to shear sheep with his friends. Now, as I was reading, studying, uh, the commentaries were all kind of agreeing on this, that this sheep shearing was kind of a, a happy time, a party-like atmosphere. They were kind of enjoyed it. It was kind of something they looked forward to. And so during this time, Tamar thought this is a perfect opportunity that I can seduce Judah and get, and, and get what I'm wanting to get from him, so I can, I can lay this plan out. So she uh, conceives this plan, and now she starts to execute it. Tamar saw that Shelah, Judah's youngest son, was grown, and she was not yet given to him as a wife. Tamar did not want to face what would have most likely been a difficult life, living in this time, in this culture, with no children, no husband. It had been very difficult for a single woman to, get, to, go, to live their life, to lead their life that way. No children, no husband in this culture. So Tamar did not want to live that life out that way. So Tamar did not have an option in her mind. She did not have an option, period, in finding another husband because, again, that was Judah that could decide who she could get married, when she could get married. That was all on Judah. So she couldn't even go on her own and get a different husband. So she was kind of, in her mind, without any options at this point. 
So Tamar sets a trap for Judah, and he has physical relations with her. Look at verse 15, then we're going to look at verse 18. Read 15 and 18. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be an harlot, because she had covered her face. And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave it her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. Judah saw her and thought she was a harlot, because the attire that she had on. They agreed on terms of the payment. Judah pledged his signet, bracelets, and his staff until he could bring the real payment. Judah then went unto her, and she conceived. And when Tamar conceived, it was not intended to happen by Judah, but it was certainly planned to happen that way by Tamar. Now, one another applicable, another thing we can apply from this from this couple of verses here, which is kind of a side note, but we're going to go ahead and address it. Another observation we can apply here is that Judah, simply by the way Tamar was dressed, assumed something about her. Simply by the way Tamar was dressed, assumed something about Tamar. So this goes to tell us that modesty and proper dress do matter. So simply by the way she was dressed, Judah immediately assumed this about Tamar. So modesty and proper dress do matter. There's so much in this chapter that you could apply, you could draw out, you could teach on, but we're going to keep on going. But that's another thing that we could go from that point and teach on modesty and dress. So now Tamar disappears. Judah wants to give the payment so he can get his stuff back. He sends his friend. They get the payment. They give her the payment so he can retrieve his belongings, but his friend cannot find Tamar. He cannot retrieve Judah's belongings. He wanted to get the payment and get his stuff back, but he can't find her. Tamar disappears for a little while. So now that was our sin. We've covered a lot of sin. That's point number one. We're done covering the sin, and I'm glad to move on to another point. But we got to that point. We've covered the sin. Now we're going to move on to point number two, which is shame. Point number two, which is shame. Tamar's vindication and Judah's reproof and Judah's shame. Tamar's vindication and Judah's reproof and Judah's shame. Look at verses 24 to 26. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. Look at how he's judging her immediately. Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whose these are, am I with child? And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these? The signet, and the bracelets, and staff. And then Judah acknowledged him, said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not to Sheila my son. And he knew her again no more. Can you imagine the shame? of Judah at this point, when he's pronouncing this judgment of burning her for, being, for playing, this, playing the harlot in this, for he said, burn her, bring her forth and burn her, and he's the one that did the sin with her. And so now to have everybody know that he's the one that had that sin with her. So imagine the shame Judah's going through, shame at his sin, shame over his sin. He got caught, and he's shameful because he got caught, but still shame over his sin. So we looked at the sin of Judah and Tamar, and now we see the shame Judah was displaying here. He says, bring her forth, let her be burnt. Judah found it easy to judge someone else's sin while not passing judgment on his own sin. We can learn from this, don't be too quick to point the finger at others. It's easy to point the finger at others and say, there is sin, that's your problem, that's your sin, that's your sin. You need to work on that, you need to work on that, while totally ignoring our sin, our problems, things we need to work on. So when Judah heard that Tamar was expecting a child, he was very angry. Bring her out here and, and let her be burned, he said. But he pointed that finger too quickly. It wasn't long before he had to acknowledge that he was the bigger sinner and he had to face that shame. So don't be too quick to accuse other people of wrongdoing. It's very easy to do. Although we may not be involved in sins like those of Judah and Tamar, we are all sinners. It is human nature to easily see the sins of others and not see the sins of our own self. So don't be too quick to point that finger at others. 
Next note, as it says, discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet and bracelets and staff. This speaks to Tamar's shrewdness. She acted very shrewdly and vindicated herself against the charge of playing the harlot. She made the logical appeal of noting the man who hired her was just as guilty as she was. And by keeping Judah's belongings, she had indisputable proof as to who that man was. She hath been more righteous than I. Notice that Tamar was more righteous because she saw the whole situation and Judah did not. She was at the end of her rope. In the society in which she lived, she had complied with Judah's wishes as far as she could. She married two of his sons, Ur and Onan, but she was at the point where she didn't have any options left. It seems clear that Judah wasn't going to help her of his own volition, so she felt like she had to take matters into her own hands. Judah was not only running out of sons for Tamar to marry, but she had become an unwelcome burden on Judah and her father. Maybe Judah was afraid that Tamar was bringing death on his family, and you can kind of understand that fear. He didn't want his third and last son to die, so he procrastinated. He kept putting it off until Tamar decided to act on her own with her understanding of the situation. So Tamar tricked Judah into taking his responsibility seriously by tempting him to consort with a veiled woman whom he believed to be a prostitute. When he finds out that the prostitute was his daughter-in-law, he realizes what has happened, and we have to admire his honesty, at least at this point, when he says that she is more righteous than he is. He recognizes his own shortcomings and his guilt. Another thing we can draw out here is when we need to recognize our own guilt, when we are confronted with, hey, this is something you did, we know you did this, own up to it. I, like, you know, like I say, I guess be a man about it, own up to it, say, take responsibility for your action, say, yes, I did that, yes, that was wrong, I was wrong in doing that, I'm sorry for that. Take responsibility for yourself, take responsibility for your actions, take responsibility for your wrongdoings, and do everything you can to make that right. Do everything you can to make sure that's taken care of. So another thing we can learn is take responsibility for your actions. So now let's go ahead and look at Tamar. Let's look at the next point is Tamar gives birth to twins, Perez and Zerah. Now we're on the best part of the message. We're on point number three, God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. It's my favorite part of the passage, favorite part of the chapter, favorite part of the message. Genesis 38, 27 to 30 says, And it came to pass in a time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Pharez, and afterward came out his brother, they had a scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. The story of Judah and Tamar is not a pleasant story. It includes broken promises. It includes deception. It includes immorality. It includes incest. But through it all, we see the grace of God. In fact, the grace of God is magnified in this story. You think, how could the grace of God be magnified in this story, in this account? In this account, how can the grace of God be magnified in this account? How could this possibly fit in the God's plan? How could this possibly have anything to do with my redemption. How does the God's amazing grace fit into this story? And this is the exciting part. Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is a descendant of Perez, one of the twins born to Tamar through this immoral relationship with Judah. Jesus Christ can trace his line through Perez, through Tamar, through Judah. So in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew 1, we find the names of Judah and Tamar. Think about that. Judah and Tamar in the line of Christ, in the line of the Messiah. This relationship is in there. That's the great part. God can use any situation and work it out for the good. God can use any person, anything, any situation, anything, and work it out for his good, work it out according to his will. Matthew 1, 3, Luke 3, 33, each lists Pharez as an ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah. 
God took the son of this ungodly situation and put him in the family line of the Messiah, despite the fact that neither Judah nor Timah were examples of godliness. And we know they weren't examples of godliness, but God used their son and put him in the line of the Messiah. That's God's amazing grace. God can use you, despite your parents, despite your situation, despite your sin. God can use you. God took the son of this ungodly situation and used him. Romans 5.20 says, this verse applies awesomely to this message. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And we could see that in this passage. Grace did much more abound. Grace abounded in this passage. When we get to the end of this passage, we see where Pharaoh is in the line of Jesus Christ. Grace abounded. Grace abounded in that life. Grace abounded in that passage. Tamar is one of four women mentioned in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew 1. We're going to learn more about amazing grace here in a second. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. These women were most likely all Gentiles. And we can say pretty sure that three or four of them were not certainly models of godliness or perfection. But God in his wonderful grace overruled in each situation and put them in the line of the Messiah. God's amazing grace demonstrated again. So this account of Judah and Tamar is a glorious example of the grace of God. God chose them despite the fact that neither Judah nor Tamar were examples of godliness. He chose them to help bring out the greatest event in human history. He chose them to be part of the human ancestral line of Messiah, the Savior of the world. God chose them to play their part in his plan. God chose them to play their part in his redemptive plan for mankind. God can use anyone, despite their parents, despite their situation. God can use any background. God can use anyone who's committed any sin. You can get forgiveness. God can still use you. God can use you no matter what you've done in your life. God can still use you. God can use you to do work out his will. God can use you. God can use anyone, any person, any situation to work out his will. And this is a great account in God's, in God's word that demonstrates that to us. Genesis chapter 38 is a hard chapter to study at first. But then when you get to the end and you realize, uh, I forget that guy used to say, but the rest of the story. When you hear the rest of the story, you see how incredible this chapter is. How incredible example of God's grace. Incredible example of how God can redeem. God, God can use. God can use different situations to work out his will. It's exciting when you study it with that in mind. So in conclusion, Genesis 38 is a chapter that interrupts the narrative of Joseph's life. We have a start in 37, Joseph's, the account of Joseph's life picks up again in 39, and Genesis 38 sandwiched right in between. Read that Judah took a Canaanite woman named Shua to be his wife, had three sons through her, Ur, Owen, and Shelah. The oldest son, Ur, married a woman named Tamar. The line of Judah was continued through this union. Unfortunately, Ur was sinful and died at God's hand. According to the ancient law, love, right, marriage, the next son would then be the will be supposed to be father of a child for the, for the widow. The child will be considered a legal heir of the deceased firstborn and continue the family line. Owen and the secondborn prevented that from happening, and then he was killed as a result of that. So then Judah promised Tamar his thirdborn son, Shelah, but he never delivered on that. So Tamar is def- desperate for a child. In her desperation, she conceived this plan to have a child by Judah herself. She disguised herself as a prostitute and lured Judah into hiring her. He did not know that he was sleeping with his own daughter-in-law. Tamar took Judah's signet and other items as a pledge or proof of what had happened. Months later, when Judah discovered Tamar was without ch- with, with child out of wedlock, he instructed her to be burnt. Before that happened, though, Tamar presented the evidence, the incriminating evidence of who the father really was. Judah realized his error and sin, uh, owned up to it, suffered that shame of that. Judah was about to kill Tamar for a sin he was equally guilty of. It took being confronted 
with his own hypocrisy to stop that. So we see the wonderful grace of God at work in Judah's life. The wonderful grace of God at work in this account in chapter 38. So in spite of the sinful events of Genesis 38, Judah was not removed as a progenitor of the Messianic line. The line of the Messiah did not come through Joseph, as we would humanly thinking expect it would if, if this would not happen. But if God were to ask me, who do you think we should put the line through? Which son of Jacob should we put the line through? I would pick Joseph. I was like, he's the upstanding son. I would pick Joseph. And if they said I couldn't pick Joseph, like, well, maybe Benjamin. But I would definitely not pick Judah. But the line went through Judah. It came through Judah and Tamar. God did not condone their wrongdoing, but the fact that Jesus can trace his family tree back to them clearly demonstrates God's amazing grace. We studied the sin of Judah and Tamar. We, said, we saw the shame that Judah felt, the shame that Judah had to display when he was confronted with his sin. And then we ended with God's amazing grace, how God can use anyone. God can use any situation. God can conquer your sin. God can conquer your shame. God can use you. Let him use you. God can help you get past that sin. God can help you get past that shame. You think, I did something too awful. I just can't, I can't serve God. I have that in my past. I just can't do it. God can help you get past that shame. God can help you get past that sin. Just accept God's amazing grace. Allow God's amazing grace to affect your life. Lord, thank you.